How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? How many of you know the Ten Commandments? So if I just point at you, you could stand and tell me. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Wow. Okay. How many of you could, you could, you could quote them right now? Come on up. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't, don't. He could. It was so cute. Marge Sample, some of you know Marge, a little elderly lady in her church. She came up to me after the service and she said, I can tell you every one of them. Thou shalt not, thou, she went right through all 10 of them with her fingers and I just gave her a hug and said, can you do that next weekend? She said, no, in front of people I would forget them all. It's amazing how many people are familiar with the Ten Commandments, but it's also amazing that the national average in America is that people could only recall three. So we know about them, but we really don't know them. And I tried to quote them. I couldn't get them all either. And I had one that I made up that wasn't in there. I thought it was, but it wasn't. So I'm learning. Um, I'm going to get that right, though, before it's over. I, these next few weekends are going to be fascinating because the goal behind the Ten Commandments, God isn't trying to give some mandate that beats this into us. I know they're called commandments, not suggestions. I get that. But the idea is that God's giving us a playbook that will keep us healthy. God is saying, if you do this, you're going to live well. You're going to get along. Things good are going to happen in your life. So we even got a whole new set for it. This is Mount Sinai, just so you know. And it's the idea of God burning with his finger the tablets of stone, called the Ten Commandments to Moses up on the mountain. And then how does that relate to this modern-day look of, of a tablet where we poke around with things what does it look like to go from Mount Sinai experience, the finger of God, Ten Commandments, and now this new modern generation that doesn't really even like absolutes at all? The challenge is a big one. So I'm, I'm opening my heart. I've already had to pray some things through from this particular message today, so I'm expecting you to do the same. We're going backwards, 10, 9, 8, 7. We're going to take the Tenth Commandment. And do it today and this weekend, and then we're going to go down to number one. The Tenth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You, uh, your neighbor's male or, male or female servants. Ox or donkey. That's a tough one, because my neighbor's got a nice-looking donkey across the fence. There's... Big cultural shift here, you know? <laughs> or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And the word neighbor doesn't just mean next door. It means those in your life, those in your world. So in a nutshell, this, this commandment is thou shalt not covet. That's it. If you look covet up in the dictionary, which I did, it will say this or something like it. To desire for, to yearn for, to crave to have one's heart set on, to want and wish for, to long for, hunger after and even thirst after. It involves the entire body, mind, spirit. You are saying, I want this and I will do whatever I can to get it. I ask you the question, what makes us say, 
I want that. Let's say it together. Ready? I want that. Now, that, that is not coveting depending on what the that is. Right? There are some things that we should want. There are things we should desire. And it's, it's very confusing to break all this down. So I, I just want to talk about desire. Number one in your outline, let's just talk about desire, where it comes from, why we have it, if it's a good or a bad thing. There's a passage in Psalms, it's, a, it's the 37th Psalm, it's a Psalm of David, where he makes this big statement about desires and how God will give you the desires of your heart. I want to just put it on the screen. Psalm 37.1, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Like the grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him. He will help you. Through the years, I've heard people take this passage and butcher it basically saying, God will give me all the desires of my heart if I just have enough faith. That isn't what this is saying. It's saying that if I delight myself in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. There's a difference. When you delight in the Lord, that little Hebrew word there means to completely plunge into. It's the difference of you going out on a dock, out on a lake, and sitting down on the end of the dock and putting your feet in the water versus someone running down the dock and diving in head first. When you delight in the Lord, you fully plunge into and give your all to God. And what happens is when you do that, the desires that you begin to cultivate in your mind are the very things and the attributes that God wants to bless you with. So it's like your desires change. And God says, great, finally you want the stuff I want to give you. That's why when you delight in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart because your heart is pure. And that's the challenge of our culture, is there's not a lot of purity in what I want most of the time. And, and commercials don't help. Advertisement is, has blown me away. I've been doing all this research. Samsung Galaxy phone versus iPhone. Where do you stand? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> don't, oh, let's not argue about it now. I, I don't I don't really have a preference. Samsung spent $401 million in ads that mock the iPhone. Over $400 million. Think of what you could do with that money. Remember when Apple did the same to mock Windows-based program? And they had that little guy, made it look all easy, and someone else with you know, cameras on their head and taped up and everything. It's just amazing. In 2011, this is an amazing stat. It's the latest one I could find. Over $464 billion were spent on advertising in this country. You know, we throw out numbers like a billion, but I don't think we can even grasp how big of a number that is. That's a lot of money. What could we do with that money besides just try to get someone to believe our point of view or buy something? But you know why they spend that kind of money? Because we buy stuff. Because it works. Because suddenly we are the people who say, I want that. Um, where do your desires come from? Here's some of the questions I would like for you to just ponder. Where do your desires come from? Is it the TV ad? How many of you record stuff and you skip the ads? Yeah, see, praise God for those machines. 
I want that. <laughs> then I asked the question, where do, where do those desires come from? And then why do I want that? Because the why is a pretty big piece. And, and we're going to break this down a little more, but I, I'm praying that you will apply this to you. Don't be sitting here today going, oh, I'm sure glad they're here because they need this, right? This is about you and God. If I buy this, will I feel better about myself? Is it because someone says I look really good in that color? Is it because this is the car I've dreamed of my whole life? Is it because this will make people respect me more if I have this baby, if I have this or that? What is driving you to make purchases? First of all, we need to get something on the table really big. There's nothing wrong with stuff. Some of the most wealthy people in all the world were kings that God had appointed. So he's not afraid of riches. He's not afraid of money. There's great people who have money, and there's horrible people who have money. <laughs> and and God loves all the people. It's just that there's a challenge here. So I'm going to give you a little phrase that we use around Timberline in our leadership stuff that helps us. This is not a problem to be solved. It is a tension to be managed, this, this whole thing. In other words, you give me a problem to solve, typically you can solve it pretty quick and then it's done. It's off your plate. This will never be off your plate. The things you desire, the want buttons, putting that before God, is it okay for me to spend this much money on that versus this? That's a tension you're going to have to manage. That's why you need the leading of the Holy Spirit. I could buy a $20 watch that, excuse me, tells time probably almost as good as a $25,000 Rolex. So, so why am I, and if you have a Rolex, it's cool. <laughs> Put it in the offering at the end. You'll be, you'll be happy. <clears throat> but some people just like the quality. There's truth in that. And sometimes, how many of you have learned? You sometimes do get what you pay for. And so it's not just, I have more money so I can do this. It's, what's the tension? Where is that coming from? How can I submit to God and be in this? It's a vicious cycle. Our culture is all about branding. And I want that because it has that little sticker on it. I want that because it has that emblem. And suddenly we bite the hook. And there are all, reason, all the reasons in the world we could give. But I want you to think about it. The vicious cycle goes like this. I work harder to make more money so I can buy things I don't need to impress people I don't like. <laughs> right? It just goes on and on. It never ends. Number two, let's talk about contentment. If we have to realize that desires are attention to be managed, then we have to put contentment in the equation. Because contentment is not the opposite of desire. Contentment is being pleased and happy with where I'm at. But it doesn't mean I refuse to ever purchase anything else. It just means I'm happy. I recognize it. I'm content. This is good enough. Now, Philippians 4, Paul says this amazing thing. If you've been around church long, you know this passage. He loves the church in Philippi and they love him. Matter of fact, they've sent him an offering and he's thanking them for it. Okay? We pick it up, and he talks about being content. Philippians 4, verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, and that's a really important word in this passage, because this does not happen automatically. 
I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Wow. What are the lines, what are the lines, those boundary points, in your life for establishing what I would call a norm for a contentment level? What, what would you say is, are your lines? Like, do you even have this? Have you even thought about this before? How long can I live with contentment? And how long can I live with just the things I already possess? It's a challenge. I, I remember we have a missionary family on the field right now in Guatemala. And uh, they, they so blessed me in one of the meetings I had with them. They said, we've decided to spend one year not purchasing anything anything that's materialistic socks we will underwear clothing just the basics but we're not and we're not going to go out to eat for a year and with their kids and they all agreed to do this and i said how in the world i said you are crazy that is not of god <laughs> <clears throat> and they did it and it it broke the back of something in this materialism and you can do it but we have a hard time believing that so that tension exists. What makes me content? Here's, here's the problem. Here's one of the problems. Sometimes that new thing isn't just that I want it to show that I have it. It has nothing to do with ego. It's a thing that actually increases a better or gives me a better experience than what I... If you watch the Bronco game on a 12-inch screen today versus, let's say, a 60-inch screen, high def, praise God, how many of you know you're going to have a better experience on the big screen? You're going to be even more happy after they win today. I believe that. So, so it's not just look at what I have. It's not. It's sometimes we long for a greater experience. Have you ever driven one of those cars? Have you ever ridden a horse like this? Have you ever, and it's, it's the experience. Have you ever used a fishing pole like that? And so there are real differences. And quality is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just finding that line in my life. Lord, help me to find that place where you are honored and you are glorified and I'm giving you everything I am. It's okay to be driven. That's another thing that comes out of stuff like this. I'm a pretty driven person, but not toward material things, but I hope I'm driven toward kingdom of God things. If you're working harder so you can make more money, so you can advance the kingdom of God, you go. But if it's just to buy more stuff, I'm not sure. People say, well, God really blessed them financially. Really? Maybe they have a good work ethic. And, and I mean, I don't want to take any credit away from God, but there's a whole lot of godless people who have made a whole lot of money. And I doubt it's God's blessing on their business. You with me on that? So the logic that we sometimes use, well, they really need to get right with God. You know, they've been in poverty for a long time. There are poor people who love God and will do anything for the kingdom, and they are rich in God's eyes. There are rich people who are rich in God's eyes, and they give at the same level, and, and, and vice versa. There's some not-so-nice poor people and not-so-nice rich people. And so it's not about how much money you make. It's about the want button. It's about the contentment button. This commandment, this commandment is about God saying, 
are you okay in your own skin? Because if you're buying stuff because it just makes you look better or feel better about yourself, then you're in trouble. Your self-esteem can't be based on these material things that we pursue and we chase after and we want. And yet I'm not even sure most people connect the two. I'm not even sure we have to give ourselves enough quiet time in our lives to really put them together and say, God, show me where this really is. And I'm not about people who use a poverty mentality to act spiritual. Well, we just live simple and we just love God and, and, and they never try to advance their life. They never try to move into a, a, a job that helps them. They never, there's not an effort. And I just think that poverty mentality can kill people too. But I, I'm also bugged by people who say, well, you're gonna get rich if you follow God because that's not true either. It's a tension to be managed. When is it enough? Was it Rockefeller who said, no, it was, uh, oh, I forget his name. I just read this quote this week. But they said, when it, they asked him, when is it enough? And he said, when there's just a little more. And I, I think of that often. I think that's, that's sometimes the pitfall that we're, we're in in our lives. Now, number three, I got a ton of stuff under number three. Let me get going here. How can I learn to cultivate contentment? So if desire and contentment are up there, and, and I hope you're, you're putting this in your brain, then what would be a roadmap for me to truly examine myself? If, if, if I could know that you're gonna walk out of here today in a few minutes and you're gonna go take some time to evaluate in your life and you're not gonna just push this aside, you're gonna really sit down and have some time with God to say, where am I? Where am I in this? I need to know. Then God's gonna help give you clarity and it's gonna change some of your spending habits or your saving habits. I believe that. I believe this commandment. This isn't a guilt trip. It's a commandment that God gave us to help us. Now, let's just try seven things here. Number one, if I'm gonna cultivate contentment, I'm gonna examine my heart. Examine your heart. Ask this question, what is the motive behind everything I purchase? Why am I buying this? I, oh man, it's tough when you're preaching on the Ten Commandments because for some reason God expects you to try to live them. You know what I mean? And so I've been doing this thing the last few weeks, so we've known this series is coming. And so we, Bonnie and I agreed years ago actually to use a Miles credit card for everything we buy. And, and we pay it off every month. But that's just how, and then you get Miles, at least you can get something out of it. And so lately, usually I get those statements, I look at the amount, you write the check, you send it off. So lately, I'm just going through the torture of looking at every line item on that credit card statement. And it takes me back to remembering why we bought that, why we did that, why we went out to eat that night. Why, and it's like horrible. I can't wait till the series is over and I can, <laughs> I just wanna get back to buying stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But it is, it's sobering. Because you're, you're sitting down and you're saying, was this a need, was this, and then there's some guilt, and then, no, that's blessing, no, that's good, no, we took them out, no, that's good. But it's this constant kind of saying, God, are you happy with this? And just laying it out and saying, God, are you happy with this? What do I need to, how do I need to change this? What, what's the stuff that's fluffing here that I don't really need? What's driving me to get this? And you know, I learned God will talk to you. <laughs> and, and it's not always in a negative, bad way. Sometimes it's, well done. Let's work on these two areas and we're good. Number two, live grateful. Live grateful. 
This is just fascinating to me. Um, I've met the rich and the poor who both live grateful. I've met the rich and the poor of which neither live grateful. And wherever you are, live grateful because this does break the back of that want for more. Be thankful for what you have. Listen to this. I heard this a few weeks ago. If you can be open about your beliefs without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more fortunate than almost three billion people in the world. If you have never suffered the pangs of starvation and have access to food when you are hungry, you're ahead of more than 854 million people in the world. If you can safely drink water when you're thirsty, you're more fortunate than over one billion people who are on this planet today. If you have clothes on your back, a roof over your head, a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you can easily slip a, a, flip a switch and turn a light on or turn a heater on when you're cold, you are not one of 1.6 billion people who have no electricity. This, this one really is amazing. If you have any money in the bank, if you have any money in your wallet, if you have spare change in a dish somewhere, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you can read this message, you are more fortunate than over 2 billion people in the world who cannot read. You know, every now and then, these things can guilt you out, I know that, but every now and then it's good for us to just examine. It's good for us to stop and say, am I grateful? Am I really living grateful in my life? Because there's always... There's always that want button in our lives. Number three, steward what you've been given. I talked about this a couple years ago with you, and I could hardly remember it, so I know you can't. <laughs> but but I, I started doing this thing for probably a year. Uh, I, I stopped maybe six or eight months ago. I, I do it occasionally now. In my devotions in the morning, I have a study in, my house, in our house, and I have a chair that I sit in, and I, I do this thing called Palms Up. And I've talked about it with you before where I, I just said, God, what have you put in my hand? What have you put in my hand to steward that has authority attached with it and responsibility attached with it? May I steward that well? What have you put in my hand that you want to take away today? It gave me the realization that I own nothing because I'm never going to go like this. I'm never going to grab it. I don't own this shirt on my back. Say, well, yeah, it does belong to you. Well, in a sense, but I'm going to steward it. It's, it's God's. God gives, God takes away. I don't understand all that. But if you can say every possession you have, it belongs to him. Don't be the owner of anything. Be the steward of everything God puts in your hand. Because when you start grabbing it, it's going to jump away from you. It's not yours. It's God's, and steward it well. That's what God wants. Number four, make relationships the priority in your life. This is a big thing. It's a big thing. You know what I heard multiple times standing over in the East Auditorium when buses would pull in and people would unload who've lost everything? I heard over and over again, and the things I saw in their backpacks, you know what, you know what people grabbed on their way out that they, they wanted to keep for sure? Pictures of family. Memoirs, things that meant something emotionally, connect them to another person, a grandmother, a child. That's what they wanted. Why? Because in the end, that's what matters. All the stuff can burn. All the stuff can go away. 
but relationships truly are forever. Dick Foth quote, I quote this every chance I can. I've quoted it here, but I'm gonna say it again. There are two things that you deal with your entire life, money and relationships. And one of those will make you rich. And guess what? It ain't money. I think you knew that. Relationships matter most. Number five, be a giver. Be a giver. I mean, this really does break the back of coveting. And I think there's three T's in the Bible. You know what they are. Give your time, talent, treasure. See, that's easy to remember. The three T giving. Time, talent, treasure. Some of you in your stage of life right now, I mean, it's fascinating. The one thing you probably don't have is time. You're raising kids, you're working two jobs, you're get, and you don't have a lot of time to volunteer. And you may not have a lot of money, but let me tell you something. There's a talent and gift that you've been given to be the best mom, the best dad that you can be. That's a gift. Develop that gift. Raise your family. Raise them well. Give yourself to that. That's being a steward of the gifts God has given you. Some of you are retired. You did well. You, you, you have the gift of giving. Thank God for you. Praise God for that discipline and sacrifice in, in your life. Others of you, it's, it's talent. You do have, uh, or you do have time. And many of you, I mean, I forget how many, it, it was hundreds and hundreds of hours that we logged, thousands even, uh, over these last two weeks helping people. And so many of you showed up in your red serve 6-8 t-shirt and you gave of yourself and you said, I have the time. And some of you didn't have the time, but you, you took the time anyway. One thing about time that's weird is we all have the same amount. Do you realize that? People say, well, I just don't have time. Well, you have the same amount of time as all of us. So it's, it's, it's a matter of setting your priority. What can you and will you do with that time? Okay, number six, evaluate your priorities. I'm asking you this week, I'm asking you to sit down with a notepad or a tablet or something, however you take notes for yourself, and really take a good look at yourself and ask this question. What matters most in my life? I would love to hear your answer to that. Do you have an answer right now? How many of you can answer that? You could. What matters most in your life? Then here's the next question that will help you. Is my time, talent, and treasure, when I put it all out on the table, is it supporting what I just said I, I, I treasure most? Because a lot of people talk the talk about what means most to them, but they don't live it out. And you can tell if you're living it out by your time, talent, and treasure. Those are indicators of what your priorities really are, not just what you say they are. The last thing is be aware of what's going on in your brain. Say, well, there's not much going on in my brain. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. It's really important that you figure out what's going on in your brain. How do you think? What do you think about? How does that work? Philippians 4.8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Henry Ford said it, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Your thinking will eventually define you. You will become what you think. One of the polls, just as we wrap up today, one of the polls I read, it's amazing to me, they ask people, what, what are the greatest things you think about? And it was a high percentage. You know what it was? Winning the lottery. 
that people's daydreaming can just take them away with everything they would do with $200 million or whatever the lottery is. It's like, and they just go off. This is what I would do. And I would say, that would be great. I hope it happens for you, but it's pretty unlikely. So maybe you should be daydreaming and thinking about the stuff you already have and how to steward that and how to bless others with that and how to use time, talent, and treasures in ways that go against the grain in this earth that says more is better. Lord, help us right now to understand your concepts, that you don't have a problem with things. You're the, you're the giver of good gifts. But there's a tension here, Lord. We bounce between the guilt that we have in this and the blessing that we know is on our lives because of you. So I just pray that we'll be able to find that balancing point. And it's different for all of us. Lord, I think you put more in some people's hand because they can steward it better. So I ask you to help us to steward well, steward well what you put in our hands. I wanna just pray over some of you with heads bowed right now in these final moments because this stuff really matters. Some of you need to change your thinking, what's going on in your brain. It's the, the daydream syndrome of all the what ifs and it's like just to come in and take you out of the challenges you have instead of facing them. How many of you need prayer in that area right now? Just slip up a hand. God, help, help us to, to learn how to do this better. Help us to navigate with the reality we've been given. We might hate it, but help show us how to have wisdom and to honor you and to step out in this. Secondly, I want to pray for those. This is really hard to raise your hand on, and so you don't, you don't even have to. It's no one's business. But at least acknowledge it to God. Some of us might attach our self-esteem, our value, our self-value with how others view us by material possessions. Why, how I look. Well, I need to be skinny. I need to have this color. I need to buy more clothes. I need to drive this kind of car. I need to, probably nothing wrong with any of those things because they're just things. But what happens in your mind is if, if you're using that to scratch an itch and God says, I kind of like you the way you are. I'll pull you to be the person I want you to be, but it's not stuff. It's bigger than that. It's a mindset. If you need help in that area, can I pray for you? Lord, we all have insecure issues, all of us. They're in just different places. And so help us in our insecurities to be really brutally honest with the stuff you're saying to us today. Show us how to fight this battle in our mind with a strong will, a sensitive spirit. Show us how to be brave, how to be courageous. Show us how to tackle the want list and make good, healthy decisions that honor you. We need that today. Lord, if there's someone in these rooms that do not know you personally and they really need you, let's start with that. You guys, if you're here separated from God because of sin in your life and you know it, the Holy Spirit can, can prompt you and he loves you. God loves you. You can just pray this right now where you are. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I'm lost. I'm separated from you. And I want to make it right today. I want to come to you. I want to come to faith. I believe you died on that cross for me. Here's my life. Use it. Spend it for the glory of God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up here and just be available to pray with you. Don't be afraid to come up here. That's why we're here. We just love to connect and pray with you about any need, related or unrelated, to the message today.
lots of tables in the mall, lots of stuff to do and think about. But before we go, would you pray one more time with me? Lord, as we look at the potential guilt we feel, as we look at the potential, you know, the extremes of never buying another thing in our lives and going out and spending it all, it's scary because we really want the balance. And Lord, I ask you to give us wisdom and understanding to know that you are the giver of good gifts and that there is blessing and there is abundance in walking with you. Reveal to us how to make you smile in our attitudes, in our giving, in the time, talent, and treasure that you've put in our lives. Help couples, families, singles to talk about this with friends and others. Let it be a journey that they're on and a tension to be managed, not just a problem to be solved. Thank you for your word today and thank you for these 10 commandments. God's 10, in Jesus' name, amen. The service starts now. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for